All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is my compatriot on this journey today, Richard Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is my always <laughs> is my always lugubrious traveling companion and film buff online contributing editor, Natasha Vagutsky. How you doing today, Natasha? Hey. <laughs> we are away from our day jobs now. So, yeah. we, it's a rare re- Monday evening recording. It's good stuff. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, Podcast too. <laughs> if, if we took commercials, I would gladly take a commercial from Writer's Tears Scotch. Yes. Yay! Because that is a product I feel very good in endorsing. Yes, I'm sure that they also celebrated the WGA possibly may have coming to terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't think you would celebrate uh, the WGA winning uh, their contract and everything that they wanted with Writer's Tears so much as a Scotch brand called Studios Tears. <laughs> Which which would be a much more apropos thing. Uh, but yeah, you, you do bring a good point. As of last night, around 9 p.m. Pacific time, midnight our time, it appears as if the Writers Guild and the AMPTP have reached an agreement. Woo! Ending a, what, five-month, almost five-month-long strike? I think it was mid-April. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, been a while. Yeah. And um it's it's been historic. It's been educational, uh, how these things work. It's, it's gonna get really cold soon, so I'm glad they're wrapping it up. <laughs> um the I wanna say it was the no, it was the two thousand and eight strike went through uh happened in the winter though. Cause because I remember going up to the uh writer's uh picket line in New York one day when I had to be in the city and I bought two jugs of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts and I brought them to the to the uh, picket line. Aww. I, I'm showing my solidarity because uh, you know us. Yes, <laughs> you know course. me. You know, we are always going to be siding with the writers on this I'm stuff. I'm still pissed that I didn't find the, the time to go up and pick it. I, I actually had an open invitation from two different writers that I know in New York who are WGA who are like, if you are around, feel free to. And we, you know, I do feel bad. Now, SAG is still going. We have... Friends in, I think she's in New York right now, who are SAG. Um, we have friends in Vegas who are SAG. Um, we probably know somebody in Los Angeles who's SAG. Well, so, of course, we're you know, supporting them as well. If it's still going, I'm off Friday, October. Uh-oh. <laughs> Friday, October 13th. 13th. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's New, uh, New York Comic Con weekend. But um, if... Yeah, maybe come in and we'll I'm go, sorry. We'll go out. No to... one's going to be at Comic Con. They're going to be out on the street picketing. Yeah, in terms of that, um, yeah, it's that's the if, one thing. And I think we talked about this last time when we talked about. I wouldn't the be strike. surprised if they'd be even be picketing around Javits. Oh God, if they did, don't cross I that would not, picket no, line. No, no, I wouldn't. I would. I would suck. But um, the only. I'd if, feel bad for Joel. Yeah, our our good friend Joel Meadows. Uh, of Tripwire, Tripwire magazine, the magazine. wonderful folks there. 
Um, he is leading a panel on being a comics journalist in Britain. Uh, that's going to be Thursday. I think it's at 1030 uh, at the Javits Center during New York Comic Con. Um, I'm going to be there. Because he, he asked me to film it for him. Oh, so. And he's also serving Jamie Dodgers and Jeffy Cakes. Yeah. Well, that's the other reason I'm going to be there. No, I'm going to be there because... Even Grab if, as many as possible for me. Even if... <laughs> even My if, stores have gone bare. I know. Even if he uh, hadn't asked me to film, I definitely would have been there to support him. And uh, his uh, partner, Andy, in Tripwire, who's a great guy, too. And... Um, I'm looking forward to seeing both of them. It's like the one time a year we get to hang out mm. because, you know, that pesky Atlantic Ocean is in the way, mostly. But yeah, that's exciting that um, New York Comic Con's coming up. I think we're going to squeeze one more episode of this in before that. And then I come back from Comic Con. I have like three days bef- and then I turn around and it's uh, the Philadelphia Film Festival. I think we discussed that our Halloween one was going to be a double feature, correct? Um, yes, yes. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah, um, we got to figure out when we're going to record that. But um, yeah, October is going to be a crazy month. It's gonna if be we have to record month, it prior to New York Comic Con and you just sit on it, we'll sit on it. That's fine. We've done that before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a little peek behind the uh, curtain here as you listen to our uh, our production the, meeting. Well, yeah, we've all of a sudden oh, turned this into a production meeting. Yeah. Sorry, guys. So, so anyway, back, back to the strike ending. Well, hopefully ending. The WGA and the AMPTP have reached a tentative agreement. Now they get the lawyers to write it all up. And then each side looks at what the lawyers have written and make sure that it's all what they agreed in. Nobody's trying to sneak in little other things in there that shouldn't be in there. Mm. And then it goes to the members of the Writers Guild to be voted on. Um, this is a process that could take a week or two still. The the guild has asked, um, they said, we're going to stand down on our picketing until then. But they did say, if you want to go support the actors, who were very good with supporting us, if you want to go help them with their picket lines, be our guest. <laughs> so um, the writers aren't back to work yet, but they are helping uh, with uh, the SAG, uh, Screen Actors Guild, um, strike picketing now. Which is nice. I mean, there was a lot of co-joining of those picket lines anyways. Um, so I I don't see much in terms of picketing action changing in terms of how many people are out. It's just in terms of how many signs you're seeing for each guild. But Where do you get these signs? Because if the, I go up to strike on Friday, I want to be having one in my hand. The, the guild has them. Okay. They, yep. They hand them out? Yep. Okay. Some people make their own. Um, I'm going to miss seeing a lot of strike signs. That's, that's like the <laughs> They one... were getting clever. Yeah, they were, they were getting clever a while ago. And they've been really fun the whole time. You know, the one it's, about, it's a creative way you to... You know, about I will spoil the ending of Succession. I was like... <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> I mean, good on you, mate, but please don't! <laughs> Just for me, the viewer. <laughs> I know. There was a lot of... I still called it. <laughs> well, when this all started back in the spring, how long did I say this strike was going to go to? Uh, end of the year? I uh, Initially, I was saying October. More recently, I was a little bit more pessimistic, and I thought maybe the end of the well, year. Well, SAG was definitely yeah. end of the year. Well, yeah. Writer's Guild, I think, yeah. was fall. I, it's going to be interesting, though, I think. I don't know how quickly AMPTP will turn around and start to engage with uh, the Screen Actors Guild after they finalize this, do they take a couple of weeks? 
to allow some more hurt hurting on the you know the part of the actors who are out of work or do they go okay we have a kind of template for a lot of the same and similar issues that the screen actors guild wants and we know that they're going to push for parity mm. in their contract so uh I think they're going to probably hop right onto it because the way it's looking now, get the writers back to work. It gets anywhere between like five to eight weeks to start getting scripts ready for yeah. sitcoms and and dramas. Dramas take a little more time. If they can get back, um, they can get back to work and get back in front of the cameras late November. They can still have like a shortened spring season of TV. That would start airing like Mar beginning of March, middle of March, and run through the end of May. You can do 13 weeks. Boom. Like right there. Maybe into June a little bit. Uh, because a lot of these shows have international contracts where they, they owe a network in England, a network in Peru or wherever, wherever they're sending these other shows around the world to, they owe them a season of television. Hmm. And – you know, depending on what the contract says, you know, they might have to the, that season might have to have be a minimum of thirteen episodes. I'm curious. So of they might how... have these contractual obligations that could screw them, and that's how they pay for a lot of this stuff. Because just showing it in the U.S. doesn't pay for the production of these shows anymore. Mm -mm. I'm sorry. I'm I'm curious of how the awards season promotion is going to happen. I know Ferrari has gotten a pass because Neon, which is not a part of AMT, uh, PTP, is um, adhering to the rules of what SAG is looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got the uh, temporary mm -hmm. uh, agreement waiver. So Ferrari's definitely already <laughs> out there as a front runner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, poor things. I don't think people were in Venice mm -mm. for that. Nope. It's still one. Yeah. Um, I know that, uh, yeah, we had Toronto recently because mm -hmm. Ben Barnes yeah. and a few others were there to support their film mm -hmm. called The Critic. Yeah. But that's, um, I think that might have filmed offshore with European actors mm -hmm. and it was premiering at Toronto. So they don't really need to adhere yeah. to SAG. It's, it's funny that the stuff that was at Toronto that didn't have like weren't weren't SAG productions, mm -hmm. um, like that film. Like surprisingly enough, this is how I'm going to work this in. Stop making sense. The uh, oh, Talking Heads documentary, which was made 40 years ago. Well, the SAG still existed. It was just a you know non-SAG production, so that allowed the band to get together for the first time in public since 2002. Which warms my. I am a huge Talking Heads fan. We're I just going to leave that. And it was. I saw the the IMAX simulcast of the remaster, and it is stunningly beautiful. Um, we are recording on the 25th there. I'm hoping to drop this uh, tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning on the 26th. So that would give you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to get to an IMAX to see it. If you have one nearby and you're so inclined, I would recommend it. If not, starting um, on Friday for a week, the film's going to be in regular theaters. I know it's going to be in our local Cinemark. And I am going at least once <laughs> during that week, probably more. It's if you enjoy the Talking Heads music, it's beautiful, it's stunning. It's their last live tour. It's an explosion of joy and happiness and community, the way that band interacts. It's 
literally the best, absolutely the best concert film ever made. And I'm going to segue into something really quickly. Uh, oh, we ha- yeah, that's right. We haven't talked about this idea since we came up with uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Which was about two and a half weeks ago. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> As he mentions that this is the best concert film ever made, and this is also going to call back into what's going on with the strike right now and how promotion's going to work. Is it possible that our biggest film of the autumn box office wise is going to be a Taylor Swift concert. Um I think yes and I don't think it's necessarily because strike inhibited um promotion more so than I think, you know, Taylor Swift just now currently in the pop culture zeitgeist is such a juggernaut that people who couldn't afford, you know, dads who couldn't afford to take their two kids and the wife you know, to spend three, four hundred dollars to see Taylor Swift in concert. Can, more. It was uh, thousands. Or a lot more. You know, can readily say, well, I can take the family of four. Okay, the tickets are maybe 15, 20 bucks. That's a lot more reasonable. I can see Taylor Swift fans seeing this multiple times the opening weekend. I think that's really going to boost it. Um, didn't we take a look at we the tr- local Cinemark? We and it's did. Like, Open opening oh, night at seven, I think six or seven o'clock at the XD, which is their version of IMAX. Um, and it was sold out. Usually what? the pit is open, or there's some scattered seats throughout. There wasn't a single seat open, and that was like that for most of the screenings we were looking at. And this is two weeks ago, I know, and, and we, we still have what two weeks until the show. Yes, we did and... buy our tickets literally the same day. Um, cause Rich and I are going cause yep. we're curious and we're, we're going to talk about it on that episode. Oh yes, we are. That's, episode. that's yeah. definitely going to be um, an episode. Um, but, but what's interesting, remember how many screens it was on at our local cinemark? It was on eight screens out of 20 mm-hmm. at our local cinemark, which is insane to me. That's, that's a big, that's a Lord of the Rings release. That's, <laughs> you know, that's a Star Wars release. That is oh, yeah. crazy for, for a concert film, I think. But, again, there's not anybody right now who's as big a star, a pop star, as Taylor Swift. I'd say even Beyonce is kind of slacking. <laughs> I Maybe. <laughs> but know, I, I'm kind of like unplugged from pop music for the most part outside of just I one of the things I love about theoretically knowing what's going on. Yeah. The things I love about the, the whole Taylor Swift movement um behind her music with her fans and everything and how she puts on a show and i saw this when i watched uh the reputation concert which you can find on netflix it's actually really good um she tends to weave a story throughout her entire show as well as presenting you with great music and putting on a show mm-hmm. itself, like lots of py- uh, you know pyro and everything, you're also finding a story throughout it. Well, there's the, the if I may, the story of the album, but this yes. is the story of her entire career. Okay. It's the eras. It's yes. every single album. And if I may, though, mm-hmm. stop making sense from reviews forty years ago through now. All kind of point to the fact of how that concert is presented with just. David Byrne singing the first song with acoustic guitar, drum track, 
slowly band members come in for each song. It's about one man's loneliness. My gosh, the song Psycho Killer, for goodness sakes. One man's nervousness about the world. And then slowly people come in and join in and it becomes a community. And this music starts playing. There's a little bit of gospel in there. There's some Afro-Cuban rhythms. There's uh, you know a lot of dance grooves and some rock guitar and all this other stuff. And it's literally after like the first 25 minutes, the the the, re- the next hour is a big giant dance party, <laughs> so <laughs> with, with it... lots of cool with lots of cool lighting and different stagings. Um, there's a killer one-er shot of just the stage for like a good a good percentage of one song because just that performance is amazing and and just watching it from that audience vantage is spectacular all right so i'm gonna throw you a question this, this that... is us this is this is our generational fighting aren't right now just I, I know we are gonna slightly, go back and forth, slightly slightly just when so we identify we know what we're doing. i realize that the music is maybe not of your style believe me my husband made fun of me the other day for it but then the next morning I, i'm surprised actually darren hasn't given me any shit about going to this too but but the next morning he handed me his phone in the car. We were driving to an event in Scranton. So we had a good 30, 40 minutes to mm-hmm. kill. And he said, put on your favorite Taylor Swift song. He was very curious as to why I thought the way I thought. Okay. And I presented him with the song, I Did Something Bad, from the Reputation album. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about it is it's an anthem. It's not so much uh, a I'm a, you know, sappy, lovesick. I, I'm not going through a breakup. <laughs> I'm saying if you come at me, I'm coming at you. Okay. And, and that's really yeah, what it that's is. That's fine. It is very much a power song. And I love it because of that. Also, the way she sings it is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the question I have to present to you is... And I know I'm presenting this early, so it'll give you some time to mull it over. Okay, you're not expecting an answer immediately now. No, God no. Okay, okay. okay. I want you to think about it, and when we come back to this podcast after seeing it, Mm -hmm. I'm going to present that question again. Okay. Is this the new Stop Making Sense? Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) You are evil. (laughs) In terms of the next... Actually, not even one generation, but two generations Mm -hmm. or three down the road. (laughs) But is this going to be the one that carries over for the next 30 years? Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Um, Now, the feature we were going to talk about today was it's a retro review of Now Voyager, the fantastic Betty Davis uh, film from 1942, 42. I think yes. it's 42. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but before we do. Um, it's either 41 or 42 or 43. <laughs> Paul Henry shot it and then went off and did Casablanca. Yeah. So that well, should put it were, into perspective. Sh- <laughs> schedule went over on Now Voyager and both he and um, Claude Rains Claude had Rains a split. were a little late. <laughs> they they kind of had to rearrange some of the schedule on Casablanca because of this film. Um, so Just one thing I found out while doing the uh research. the research this afternoon <laughs> um but before we kind of do get to all that i did want to hit on a little bit of a sadder note um as we were getting ready to do this <laughs> i know where you're going um yeah 
uh, as we were getting ready, literally Natasha was here and we were setting up microphones, um, it was announced that, sadly, uh, David McCollum, the actor who was in For One Generation in CIS. And for us, Ducky, Ducky. And for us older generation, uh, he was in uh, The Man from Uncle, the original uh, TV series that from the 60s that came about during the Bond spy craze and kind of distinguished itself from all of the other imitators out there. It's it's odd because like I What happened to him? Um that's what I'm trying to look now. Uh it says just natural causes. Uh You surrounded... didn't say he passed away. Yes, he passed away. I'm sorry. There you go. Okay. Uh David McCollum died of natural causes surrounded by family at uh New York Presbyterian Hospital. A spokesperson for CBS announced he was 90. He had a good life. It, he was in two very strong long-running shows. Long-running shows, both, you know, impactful in their decades. He was a musician. Um, he was in a handful of movies. Uh, there's one that stands out to me, although it's not truly beloved amongst all groups, but The Watcher in the Woods, also with the great Betty Davis, one of mm-hmm. her last movies. Yes. Fantastic little horror film that came out of Disney. Yes, Disney did horror for a while. <laughs> there's a whole era of disney from like the 70s and early <laughs> 80s where disney was just kind of nuts they, they had, tried di- they, they tried everything everything and it's fascinating to me and i kind of want i want i want to get back to david mccollum but but that was the era that gave us like tron yes. awesome it gave us the black hole yeah i was just craziness. thinking black hole um especially the last 10 minutes of that movie what was the guy who um who was like a superhero but he had like wings like the Condor great man Huh? Condor Man. Condor Man. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I just brought back a memory. Holy you, crap. You should you see ju- his face. You just ruined three years of psychotherapy now. Uh, <laughs> it's not a good movie. Um, also had live action things like um, uh, Connecticut Spaceman and King Arthur's Court. You're forgetting about uh, uh, Race Witch Mountain. Yeah. The, the two different Witch Mountain films. Oh, my God. Those things. Are f- um, yeah. Anyways. I'm not, qu- I'm not quite really quick. I'm not okay. quite certain if this is Disney or not. I it always felt like it was, but felt like it wasn't, and it scarred me so much I can't go back and rewatch mm-hmm. it. Something wicked this way comes. That's a great film. That's a great little weird film, and it's I I'm Ray Bradbury and Jonathan Price mm-hmm. match made in heaven. So much so I can't watch it. <laughs> I'm firmly of the belief that. There should be scary movies for kids. Uh, we grew up on. I grew up on Goosebumps. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> and some people are like, "Oh no, we can't have anything scary for our kid." I'm like, "No, you need some scary stuff for your kids. That just helps them uh, process." And I think kids enjoy being, you know, scared a little bit when they know they're kind of safe. Yeah, if they can see a scary movie. Oh, and yeah. yeah. So I've but, I've I've heard many times of like the Daleks from Doctor Who scaring kids and they like run behind the sofa. Oh yeah. But knowing that they're like mom and dad are there and mm-hmm. you know they're okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun scare. Um but getting back to um Betty David McCollum, Davis and Dave McCollum. Yes. <laughs> we'll get to Betty Davis in a moment. Well, I was taking us back to you know Watcher in the mm-hmm. Woods. Okay. But um David McCollum uh it's funny because just yesterday, as I was telling you before we started recording, 
I was kind of surfing the YouTube algorithm, letting, you know, it kind of take me wherever. And it kicked out a um, promotional film, short film, you know, that was used by um, the, uh, the network to send out to affiliates to introduce them to the show, Man From U.N.C.L.E., right when it came out. So the, the actors are there playing their characters, speaking to the camera. You know, it's like, hello, my name's Ilya Karachin. I'm partners here with Napoleon Solo. We're members of, you know, the United Network Command for Law Enforcement, Uncle. And, you know, it was it was a it was a neat little piece of promotion that I had never seen. And really, I don't think anybody at the network ever intended anybody to see beyond affiliates and certainly not 50 years later. Um, so it was it was just a nice little moment uh, to see that kind of history. And then unfortunately, to hear this. Um and I was also actually thinking of another series he had done recently, too. And I was looking around. I can't seem to find it anywhere called Sapphire and Steel. Never heard it's, of it. It's a weird British series with Joanna Lumley and him playing like these supernatural investigators. It's, it's kind of like a precursor to the X-Files, but their characters aren't necessarily like government agents. They might be agents for another supernatural kind of power thing. It's it's very weird, very mysterious. Their version of Torchwood. Not even that. Really? Yeah. Like... I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure how to phrase it because they kept things so vague in the show. It's kind of hard to describe. I've only seen like one or two episodes. I read a lot about it like um, in like magazines about British TV and stuff like that that I was devouring <laughs> in my youth. And I've never seen like the full series. But it was something I was thinking about within the last week or two of like, Hey, silver and uh, sapphire and steel. I should track that down. See if that's available somewhere online. It's not, but um, I I hope somebody uh, brings it back to uh, to take a look at because that's still one of my uh, on my short list of TV series. I definitely want to check out at some point in in greater detail than I already ha- you know marginally have. Mm. But yes. uh, moving on from that, our review this week is a retro review for Now Voyager. There's absolutely no anniversary or anything else or any reason we're tying this in to doing it now, except that we just managed except to- Except Betty s- Davis and David McCall? No. <laughs> <laughs> except we saw this on the big screen uh, about two weeks ago, and I- it was a first time viewing for me. You had seen it a couple of times, right? I- I'd seen it once before, and I immediately went out and bought the uh, the criterion for it. Um, And considering just how- I, I have to. I have to talk about the coincidences here really quickly. Okay. I, if, if it's the one I think you're going to bring up, I was not going to bring it up unless you did, but go ahead. It's okay. But I, it, it ends very well. Yes. I will say this. No, you don't even know about that part yet. Mm. So the day that this was airing at uh, the FM Kirby Center for the Performing Arts in Wilkesboro, it happened to be my mother's birthday. The movie has a, a very unsavory relationship between Betty Davis and her mother. Hence why I didn't bring my mom to come see it. However, the other day when I went over, I took her a bunch of films mm-hmm. that I had in my collection. I thought I'd let her go through them, maybe pick out some things maybe she had seen and hadn't seen for a long time or had never seen before ever. She saw Now Voyager was in my pile, and she goes, I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Oh, wow. And she jumped at it. Oh, okay. And she messaged me the other day, and she goes, I just got done watching it, and Betty Davis 
is as amazing as <laughs> I remember her being when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, oh, that's great. I've- now I'm kind of upset with myself that I'd take you to go see it, but I have a sour, a sour thing going on here with this movie. <laughs> I I know, I know. I- your relationship with your mom has had its ups and downs. Oh, yes. And you can, I can see where you might see some parallels. <laughs> and you I don't, watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the movie. I've known you for almost 10 years now. Um, I don't want to get god. into the... Oh my god, 10 years? Yeah, I, do, I don't want to get into too many of the specifics, obviously, you know, and invade your privacy on a public podcast like this. But I mean, we've alluded to some of this before anyways yeah um so there's a controlling relationship there there was was yes Yes. for me and her yeah um and we've talked about that uh actually after we saw this movie for the first time so that part you know we've talked about but um it's funny that your mom and you and i and everybody who sees the darn movie (laughs) is always so you know overwhelmed by uh betty davis's performance because she almost didn't star in this. I I think I heard that somewhere along. The yeah. Uh, well, it's, it, was supposed to be- it was produced by Hal Wallace um, mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers. Um, Wallace originally wanted Irene Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Whoa. Okay. She just hissed into the microphone. Um, it's not like a burst of static. It was a downright feline hiss of anger. Um, why uh, do we want to go down this road as to why you don't like Irene Dunn? <laughs> no, I love Irene Dunn. I think she has a lot of gumption. Uh, gumption, there's a word you don't hear too often, but, but continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> but in order to get the deeper, darker, more damaged sections of this character, I'm not quite certain she could have done it. Okay, that's that's a thought. Well, how about Norma Shearer? Not because she was I'm, she was the next on the list. <laughs> I'm not as familiar with her work, mm-hmm. so I cannot have an opinion on this. And here's here's the third option that Hal Wallace had before Betty Davis found out that this uh, this film was being going to be made, and then she you know she kind of went out campaigned to Wallace, and Wallace finally gave it to her. But the the number three person on Wallace's list for this film. Mm-hmm. Ginger Rogers. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Now that is a case of she definitely couldn't fucking done it. No, no. I, I like Ginger Rogers' work a lot. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think she would have unless unless there was some kind of hidden reserve of really dramatic actor that she had that we never got a chance to see. And this would have given us a glimpse at that and maybe push her career off in an, in an entirely different direction. Then it did go through the 40s and 50s. I don't see it either, unfortunately. Joan Crawford probably could have. Yeah, Crawford um, would have been Um, interesting. And if she was willing to be stripped down from her usual appetites... Mm -hmm. She'd be close to the bottom of my list, but I would say Marlene Dietrich. Ooh, Dietrich would be interesting. I was thinking maybe Mary Astor, but I think she would have been a little too old. Too old. Yeah. Too old. If they had done this movie, you know, 10 years or five years even earlier, she might have been better for it. But they make it when they make it. 
I guess we should kind of at least uh, take a moment. Uh, if you haven't seen Now Voyager, uh, press pause because we're going to get into a lot of spoilers, I think, as we have this conversation. Um, go check it out. It's a wonderful movie. I'm not sure if it's on Criterion Channel or not right now. It isn't. Um, but uh, but I think you can run it through Prime. Okay. We have a young woman played by Betty Davis who has been trapped by her mother for all of her life. She's considered a spinster. She has a mental breakdown and a wonderful psychiatrist by the name uh, played by Claude Rains. Uh suggests that she take some time to herself at a psychiatric facility and then go out on her own for a bit. She comes back a changed woman after taking a voyage on the sea and falling in love with a grand new independence. And Mama don't like that. No. No. And, and that's my summary. Okay. Okay. That's, <laughs> see, that's that's up, how... That sets up all the conflict in the second half of the movie, really. Here's the thing I didn't know. This is based on a novel. Mm-hmm. Did you realize that this novel is the third out of a f- series of four books about this family that the author wrote? I was not aware of that, actually. Yeah, which which kind of struck me as interesting because um, I'm like, ooh, I, I wonder what the other books are about in terms of this family. Do we learn more about the mother, the mother, how she got to be such a domineering bitch? Um, we hear we see a little more about. Uh, the character of Tina, maybe in book four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- who is... Um... Her lover's daughter. Yes. Uh, do we find out more about um, the sister-in-law? And uh, some other some of the other members of the family who kind of just like breeze in and out of this movie really fast? <laughs> um, I want a whole, whole novel just devoted to Mary Wick's nurse character. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Mary Wicks is always freaking lovely, no yes. matter what she does. The wonderful character actress, decades-long career. Mary Wick is in this movie as a nurse, a wise-cracking nurse, of course. Of course. Um, She's always wise-cracking. She was you... wise-cracking as uh, the hotel lobbyist in White Christmas. She was wise-cracking as a, uh, as a gargoyle in the 95 Hunchback of Notre Dame She's animated film. Wise-cracking as a nun in, in where Angels... Sister Act. Well, in Sister Act and When the Angels Fear or Where Angels Go, Trouble Follows. That's true. Um, uh, for those who have seen Sister Act, she's Sister Mary Lazarus. You know which one that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she gets a great line that the first time we saw this, I saw this movie. I was rewatching it again uh, this weekend. She got a great line that made me laugh out loud, <laughs> and it's like right in her first scene where she's introducing herself to Betty Davis, who's just come back from her six month ocean voyage with all this newfound confidence, and she goes, "Pickford's my name, Dora, not Mary." <laughs> and and I howled. <laughs> Yeah, it's just <laughs> like like anybody would have like confused her for Mary Pickford of all things. It, but but it's a great funny line. It's a good line. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a dated reference, but if you get the reference, it's funny. Well, it's it wasn't dated at the time though. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> so, um <laughs> So that was fun. Um, you know, and it was fun to see her, you know, pop up for this here and then unfortunately disappear. But 
Um, I like sassy. I like sassy women, sassy character actresses. Um, there's a few. Um, oh gosh, who was who was I thinking of from just brain? Oh, Thelma Ritter from yes oh. from uh, um, Rear Rear Window or All About Eve. Yes. Why couldn't we never have gotten a movie where Thelma Ritter and Mary Wicks just like <gasps> like a road movie? Oh, like put my them. Oh God, Thelma and Louise. It. <laughs> no, no, just make it a road movie like the old Hope and Crosby films. How awesome would that have been? It's two women. It wouldn't have sold. I know, unfortunately, but it would have been awesome. I know. Or, or just make them, for some reason, the the love interests in the movie in a in a <laughs> Hope and Crosby movie. And my and, brain just went to gentlemen prefer blondes with Mary Wicks and Thelma. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear gods what are we thinking and Thelma's about? playing Marilyn <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's that's gonna haunt you you're gonna be having dreams about that later nightmares um <laughs> we're just two little girls from Little Rock <laughs> we're just two <laughs> um no 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 uh, we're, we're we're digressing again yes horribly squirreling mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> Anyway, now Voyager. Uh, yes. Um, but there's another there's another line in there too that made me chuckle. Um, and it was absolutely not intended. It's only because of things that happened in the intervening decades that made this line funny. Okay. It's when the they're on the boat, the boat's coming into Rio de Janeiro Harbor, and she's pointing out landmarks along the way. Mm-hmm. To Paul Almerid, and she goes, oh, and he goes, ah, Cobacabana. There is music in that name. And I go, yeah, Barry Manilow thought so. <laughs> you're trying not to laugh. I'm trying not to sing it. You're trying not, you're trying not to validate my it's stupid Coba, joke. Cobacabana. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so again, it's always fun. It's always interesting to see how <laughs> things get filtered through the decades. Um, but this is an uh, incredible performance. And the one thing that remains constant through the mm-hmm. decades is its treatment of mental illness and um, psychoanalysis and psych, you know, and the it's treating. Well done. It's well done. It was um, amazingly well done for a movie yeah. from the 40s. And I think even now you look at it and go, you know, this doesn't feel dated. This doesn't feel like, oh, we're going to take them and give them shock treatments because one of the writers read an article in a magazine about shock treatment. So that's what we're going to do now. It's it's very sympathetic. It feels very realistic. I think the doctor himself is one of the best characters mm-hmm. in the film. He's yeah. he's more interesting to me than Paul and Reed is, is the love interest. Yeah, and he didn't want to take the role either because it was he felt it was too small so they kind of did go back and goose up his role a little bit but it's it's a great role um i think it's the back and forth between Claude Rains and Betty Davis mm-hmm. particularly when she's taking charge of Tina is hilarious and so That's natural a great scene. it's a fantastic oh my scene gosh. it's so well read and i think i think it kind of speaks to the innate understated charm that um he has as an actor 
that we see over and over again. Maybe not, okay, maybe not Claude Rains when he's the Invisible Man. but Or as the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, but um, in these other, like, you know, I don't want to call them second bananas, but, you know, like, the lead supporting role. He often, you know, has has a very smooth and easygoing uh, charm and He draws vibe. you in. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like. Okay, I like yeah. him. Yeah. Anytime he shows up in something about, oh, even goody. in Casablanca, where he's slightly slimy while doing it, you're like, I still like the fucker. Yeah, I mean, that guy. <laughs> ugh. Yeah, yeah. Captain Renault is a great a creep. <laughs> but oh, for... you're you're a 17 year old married woman who needs a pass to get out of Casablanca. Well, stop by my office. Yeah, he's that's a creepy character. Oh God, yeah. yeah. You know, you know he's was... probably gonna he rape traded, her. Yeah, he traded a lot of stickers for passes out of that city. Yeah. Um, but because Claude Rains plays it, he plays it with so much yeah. goddamn charm, you can't help but you're, be like, I like him. Yeah, you're kind of like, eh, well, he's not so, so bad. Yes, he is so bad. But <laughs> I mean, the line of, I'm shocked. I'm shocked to find that gambling is going on in this establishment. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, which is one of the all-time great moments in, in cinema. Um <laughs> Or else, if it wasn't, it wouldn't have been memed quite the way it's been memed. <laughs> He's got a twinkle in his eye, mm-hmm. always. Yeah. Even in and, this role. And even when he's in smaller things, like like in Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that years later, he's still so darn good. And mm-hmm. he's just very matter of fact. He can deliver a ton of exposition and make it sound like absolute natural dialogue. The You know, the guy is... Ugh. <laughs> the more I think about his work, and as I'm kind of looking down his... um. His uh, resume, I, as it were. I'm just like, ugh, everything. Everything I've seen him in is just, ugh. I've never I mean, been a fan of Paul on Reed. I find okay. him too rigid, too stiff. I can see that. And not even stoic. That's the thing. He doesn't come across to me as stoic. He comes across to me as timid. To be a romantic love interest, mm-hmm. to be an actor, and uh, that's probably why the re- <laughs> probably why one of the reasons I only know him from Casablanca and now Voyager. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, remember he is a German or an Austrian immigrant. Yeah. Um. So English is not necessarily his first language, although I think he speaks it very well. And he does. The, he the does. I will give him credit. That he has. Um. Isn't it's not a detriment? It's yeah, it doesn't impede your understanding of what he's saying. It's it's just a slight lilt, uh, but other than that, that makes the transatlantic accent seem slightly exotic, yes, and that's it. And but do you do you think maybe some of that stiffness has nothing to do with or not? No, oh, okay. It's I line reads are important to me, but what is more important is watching facial features, watching muscles, watching eyes, uh, you know, noticing how their body turns. I could not, if you had to put these two characters side by side, and I hadn't seen this these movies a lot, and say, which one goes to which movie? I'd be going, fuck if I know they the way he stands the way he looks smiles and everything it's too much of the same 
And okay. I, I say that knowing that even I've been guilty of that from time to time as an actor. I can see that. I've not seen a lot of his stuff, you know. And actually, I'm just reminding myself now he was in Exorcist Two: The Heretic. Um, as we're entering into That's spooky season. That's... Not a great film, uh, from no. what I've heard. But uh, give me the rest of his filmography. What else are we looking at here that's big? Okay, just taking a look here. You know, I'm discounting uh, his work in Germany, which mm-hmm. I don't think you've seen, because I know I haven't. No. Okay. Um, well, Joan of Paris, uh, and then now Voyagers is only like a second American film. And then he went right to Casablanca. Um, so you're, you're seeing him very early in his U.S. career, uh, but kind of going forward, you know, I'm seeing, uh, let's see, In Our Time, Between Two Worlds, Hollywood Canteen, where he's playing himself, uh, um, 1946's Of Human Bondage, uh, Deception with, um, uh, uh, Rope of Sand, Last of the Buccaneers, pardon my French, Thief of Damascus from 52. Um, You're you know. killing me here. Yeah, there's, I think I think he came to the U.S. and those were his top two films, you know, right off the bat. And I don't know if he's ever done anything that's quite equaled. Probably because within those first two, they gave him a, a really big, like, role and they said, show us what you can do. And he didn't do much. That's something to think about. Yes. Um, again, you know, I I don't nef- necessarily want to discount. You know, he could be doing fine work in these other things. It's just he wasn't able to break back out of where he was to get those great roles like he did those first two times mm-hmm. here. But um, I've got a question for you. Okay. Does the mom in Now Voyager trip or did she purposely fall down those stairs? Oh, she purposely fell down those stairs. Okay. Okay. That's uh, that's how I read it. It's so freaking obvious. But but I okay, when I first saw it, I had that thought. I was like, "Wait, did she just like purposely throw herself down these stairs or am I seeing a little bit of bad stunt work or do I have lever to heaven on my mind?" And um, <laughs> No, her- I, I saw that cringe right there cuz lever to heaven Stairfall is a whole horrible thing in and of itself. Yeah. But her character actually threw herself down the stairs. Okay. Okay. That's because it's you, obvious from the way she looks back up towards the the it, bedroom. It could have been a looking back up and then misplacing, you know, her foot, you know, just not watching where she was stepping. No, yeah, she, I, she I, threw I wanted down to give, even though the mother's horrible, I wanted to give her at least a slight benefit <laughs> of a doubt. You're hilarious. <laughs> um, Her character is like a stereotypical caricature villain. Like, there's nothing really, there's nothing really redeeming about that woman. No, no, and that's that's another reason why I'm interested in the other books books in this uh, quadrilogy of novels about this family in Boston, simply because. Again, how did she get that way? Why is she so bitter? Why does she – they have the one line about if you have a child late in life, they're the ones who's going to comfort you in your old age. And 
I'm like, wow, you're just talking about, I just gave birth to my indentured servant, you know, and that yeah. kind of like grossed me out on a certain level. The, because she was not planned for, she wasn't wanted. Yeah. So but that having a, a nice... woman means that, you know, she has someone to take care of her mm-hmm. in her old age. Yes. But that draw that then allows um, Betty Davis to draw a parallel between like how she interacts with Paul Onreed's daughter, Christina, mm-hmm. later on in the film. Yeah. And that's one of the many great screenwriting moments of how layered and how awesome this film really is. I've seen it twice now in like the last two, three weeks. Um, I look forward to watching it over and over because I think it's, there's some really layered stuff that's really good going on here. And, you know, both times I've watched it, I've seen things. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I think there's a lot more to dig through this movie. So if you haven't seen it, we recommend checking it out. And of course, if you haven't seen it, why are you still listening? Right. Because we just blew a bunch of stuff here, man. A lot of spoilers. Sorry, we warned you. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, did you have anything else that you um, wanted to hit on on this? Guys. Go freaking watch it. It's amazing. That that's, it is. And that's all I have. <laughs> that's fair enough. It's a good poster poll quote. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that silly note, though, that about wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes and Google Play, so either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you've liked what you've heard, please give us a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. And that'll be next time, right here here on the Big Picture Podcast.